Hey, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're new to us, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we're in our series, really the last week on warfare. The series we've been doing, a series on the unseen spiritual battle. And, uh, you know, we've been kind of looking at this. The first several weeks were very theological in nature. How did this whole thing start? What does it look like theologically? The last several weeks have been very practical. And I'll warn you like I did last week, although it's very practical, it doesn't mean it's easy. Okay, so there's practical steps here that we can take in this battle, but it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy for me to do. There might be be difficult steps. They're just very practical in nature. And so we've been looking at this series, and really it's this idea that there's a God out there, and he has an enemy called Satan, the adversary, and they're warring against each other. That war began before the foundations of the earth when Satan fell and took a third of the angels with him, and it carried into the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm not sorry, Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when Satan was able to lure Adam and Eve away from God's purposes, and then that's, that, that battle or war was dealt a death blow in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came on the earth, died on the cross for the sin of the world, and according to Colossians chapter one, he's reconciling all things together. And so that is a death blow. I've already won, in a sense, already, not yet, because although I am saved, I'm not glorified yet. Uh, just like the, the battle has won, the war isn't over yet, and so we're, we're in that kind of in-between season here. There will be a day, according to Revelation chapter 22, where Satan is cast into the lake of fire, and that's his final resting place, but he's not there yet either. And so he is still going through his process, and he's kicking and screaming, and that's where we get caught in today with him kicking and screaming. Of course, he doesn't like the purposes of God, and if you represent the purposes of God, he's going to go after you. Important thing to remember, though, that this is a battle between God and Satan, not me and Satan, all right? God battles Satan. God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, the ever-present God is battling uh, an individual who's not all-knowing, not all-powerful, and not, uh, not everywhere present. Who's going to win that fight? God. We are. We are because we're associated with God, but God's going to win that battle every time, God versus Satan. And so we go back to week one where we said, God wins, we win right? And so because we're associated with him, we win because we're associated with him. It's important for you to start thinking this way, that this is a battle between God and Satan and not me versus Satan. Because when I start looking at myself versus Satan, oh my gosh, how, he's got miraculous abilities, what am I going to do? But if I start positioning it correctly in my mind, this is God versus Satan, God all-knowing, all-powerful everywhere, of course he's going to win that battle. I'm going to win that battle because I'm associated with God. This is God versus Satan, not necessarily me versus Satan. And so I was, uh, you know, this is the last week I get to do this. So these two books that we're recommending, Victory Over the Darkness by Neil Anderson and The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson, they're still available for you in the bookstore. I know many people have been grabbing them and reading them. It's awesome. I always think I'm, I'm recommending these things and nobody's listening to me. Do it on the authority that I, never mind. So anyway, you can go get it, grab it. Uh, last weekend, you know, I won't, won't mention those anymore from here on out, but they're available to you if you'd like those. And you can grab those um, as well. And so today kind of is the, the last message in the series. I purposely planned this passage for this week. I'm really excited about it. I think it's gonna be an exciting way to land the plane on the series. And especially because I've been waiting to give this opener for like two months. And so this is gonna be fun. I, it all started about um, five to seven years ago my oldest son, uh, Donovan, is 12 years old, so he was like five to seven years old at the time, and he was in that stage where he was recognizing plot lines, you know, that little that stage of development, early childhood development, 
every child goes through it. They're starting to watch cartoons, and then they realize what makes a good cartoon versus a bad cartoon, and a good cartoon always has a problem, and the problem gets solved, and that's the climax, and oh my gosh, that was a great cartoon, and he's in that little phase of his little brain. He's, he's, he's checking things out, and it all started with Thomas the, the Train. Yeah. Is that still on TV? I don't even know if it's on TV anymore. Thomas, he loved Thomas. I mean, he watched every episode of Thomas. There was a little, you know, uh, there's this little uh, uh, um, uh, roller coaster place that had a Thomas town. We would take him there and be like, oh my gosh, Thomas, ever, you know. But he, he was, uh, when he was, when Donovan was little, and it's okay because he's grown out of this, but when he was little, he had a little bit of a speech impediment, so he would uh, kind of stutter a little bit. And so he couldn't say Thomas. He'd always go, ticka, 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 Thomas. And he gets so when he got excited, he would exacerbate this whole thing. So, so he come and go, mommy, daddy, the Gordon and Thomas were were in the train and they were going too fast, and then and then then they then they 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 got in an accident. You know, he would do that kind of thing. And so he was recognizing like a good cartoon has a plot line, there's a problem, they solve the problem at the end, right? But Donovan was kind of a step ahead of most children. Donovan noticed that in these plot lines and in these scenarios, there weren't only a problem that had a solution at the climax of the cartoon, uh, there was also musical accompaniment that came with it. So it would look like this, mommy, daddy, Thomas, and they were going too fast on the track, and then they crashed, He would literally do that. And so he was figuring out, okay, a good, a good cartoon has a plot. In the plot, there's a problem. The problem is the solution. But in the midst of the problem, there's musical accompaniment. And so I think I, it is my responsibility in life to provide the musical accompaniment to when there is a situation that's dramatic. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let me tell you how that would turn out. Uh, uh, we had a, name, a dog named Jax. He was kind of like a little uh, a boxer, kind of, you know, he had that mean look, but he was a really sweet dog, you know what I mean? We got him at the shelter, and he was like 35 pounds. They said, oh, he'll give 35 to 45 pounds. He turned into 85 pounds, jumping over fences, you know. I think they just lie to you to take the dog, you know? And so anyway, so, so we get home, and Donovan's like, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, hey, Jax jumped over the fence and went over to the neighbor's backyard and grabbed a chicken and jumped back over the fence, and now he's throwing around a dead chicken in our backyard. Huh, huh. <laughs> Literally, and, and I'm back there going, it's true, there's feathers everywhere, and there's a dead chicken in my backyard, and then there was the day where the neighbor came over and confronted us, and go, yeah, that's him right there, he's the one who's been taking my daughter's pet chickens, like, oh, they're pets? Yeah, right in front of their eyes, he's, you know, so bad. He's, he's, I'm so, so sorry, can I buy you a chicken? And, and he's, he's like, no, you can't buy full-grown chickens, you have to buy them as chicks. I'm like, well, can I buy you some chicks? They're like five bucks, Give, fix the fence. So we fix the fence. Another day we come home, and you know, uh, you know, I don't know, we were out in the front or whatever, and Donovan comes to, mommy, 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 daddy, Jax. He's so excited. He saw a skunk, and he jumped over the fence, and the skunk sprayed him in the face, and he jumped back over the fence, and he's rolling around in our backyard lawn crying because he's trying to get the stink off his face. Huh, huh. I've been waiting for this illustration for like two months. <laughs> he did it the other day just to mess with us. Uh, like, you know, he's 12 years old. Anyway. And so, um, so anyway, Jax now is in doggy heaven. 
um, uh, because, you know, uh, we had to get rid of him because he kept on jumping the fence even though we extended it. And No, no, I, I'm sure there's a family that adopted him and had a big backyard like acres, and at least that's what we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. But uh, <laughs> anyway, back to the point of the story. So, so here Donovan has convinced himself that he, is respons- he has the responsibility to provide the musical accompaniment for the drama that unfolds in life. And today we're gonna look and explore what our responsibility is in the unfolding drama of the spiritual warfare. So just like, hopefully you won't choose that. You know, when, when I feel the drama coming on me, I start, you know, singing. But, you know, what is my responsibility in this battle between God and Satan? What is my responsibility in it? In the midst of the battle between God and Satan, what's my responsibility? What, what must I do? How do I play my part? What's left to me? What things does God expect of me in the midst of this battle, and how can I equip myself to be successful? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And last week, you might remember that we were, we were starting to talk about how I can contend internally in my mind. I can fight back. I, I, can, I can control my thoughts in this battle. And then today, we're going to look at how we can contend externally as well as it relates to my actions on what I do. I can contend in this battle as well. And so we're gonna be um, in a couple passages again today, and uh, the, the overarching question is, what responsibility do I have in this war against the enemy? What responsibility do I have in this war against the enemy? The first thing we're gonna look at is that our responsibility is to value a life of repentance. Like my responsibility is to value a life of repentance. Not only value it, but espouse it and actually live a life of continual repentance. And we're gonna look at James chapter four to kind of see where where we get that. This is gonna be verses one through 10, and we're gonna kind of focus on the back half of this, but let's just, let's read this together. It'll be on the screens for you. It says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And you may spend what you, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred of God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, and you, uh, you double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning, and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. What responsibility do I have in this war against the enemy? Number one, my responsibility is to value a life of repentance. It's an interesting passage because it starts off with this kind of internal war. We all know it. It's, it's the idea that there's an angel on this shoulder and a demon on this shoulder, and I have a choice in life, and which one do I choose? And there's this internal battle. And, and, and really, he's almost answering the question. You can see somebody writing this question, why can't I get ahead spiritually? And the first half of the section is the reason you can't get ahead spiritually is because you've fallen in love with the world. That's why you can't get ahead. In this relationship between the demon and the angel, you're choosing the demon more than you're choosing the angel. And that's why you can't get ahead. 
But then he says, but God gives more grace. This is beautiful. And there's a passage in verse five, right before it. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Uh, that's the NIV version. I, I don't like that version uh, 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 of the way they translated there. And, and so I looked at my, my own. I thought, man, that's a little different. And then I looked at the NASB and the ESB and I thought, oh, they agree with me, so I'm in good, good standing. But it's really the idea of with jealousy, the spirit desires, the spirit, the big spirit, the Holy Spirit, Spirit desires that which he caused to live in us. It's the Spirit who is, who is, the, who is the subject of the verse. Uh, with jealousy, the Spirit of God desires that's what he, that which he caused to live in us. I, I, I desire the life that I placed inside of you. I long for that. I long for the Spirit I placed in you, that you would act differently than you're acting. That's what he's saying. Where is it? You have this internal battle, you're choosing the wrong one, the internal battle. Where is the spirit that I place inside? That's the idea of what's going on there. And then he says something that's profound. It makes a promise, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's, let's just sit there for a little, little bit. The idea is, while God opposes the proud, he will give grace to the humble. This idea to oppose is a military term, to battle against. God opposes the, power, he opposes the proud, he battles against the proud, but at the same time, if you can find humility, he'll give you grace. Man, that's an interesting thought. So when I'm functioning in a proudful heart and displaying proudness in my life, understand that God, very God, is opposing me. And when I think of that idea of him opposing me, that is God actively being battling against me. Holy cow, I don't ever want that. And that's just, while God opposes the proud, understand the other side, if you flip the coin the other way, that's the negative side of one coin, you flip the coin on the other side, but he gives grace to the humble. If you will come and embrace humility, you will find God's grace. Therefore, submit to God, and that's an imperative, and be opposed to the devil, and that's an imperative. Uh, because of this, uh, you know, oppose the enemy and submit yourself to God. And how do you do that? And that's what the last section is all about. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, and you, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning, and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. There it is again. If you humble yourself, he will lift you up. How do I do this? I draw near to God. How? By cleansing my hands, by purifying my hearts. By the way, these are all imperatives in, in the Greek. Not being double-minded, by feeling miserable, by, feeling, by having the feeling of mourning and weeping over my sin. Those are all imperatives. By turning around my laughter and joy at my sin into mourning and dejection. No longer am I looking at my sin as, wow, I got away with that one again. Sweet. No, it's like, even though I didn't get caught, I'm still in mourning. I'm still dejected. I don't laugh and have joy over this anymore. Why? Because I desire to follow God. And so when I mess up, when I do, and it happens all the time. According to 1 John, if I say I live a life that I don't have sin, I'm a liar. So we all know that we have sin in our lives. But when it happens, I don't just get smiled and I get caught. I'm, even when I don't get caught, I'm still dejected. I'm in mourning. I weep and I wail. I'm miserable about it. And in the process, I humble myself 
into a confession and repentant spirit before the Lord. That leads me to humble myself to confess and repent before the Lord. That's the whole point. He opposes the proud, but if you'll come to him in humility, you'll find his grace. If you do it, he promises to give you grace. I think of Psalm 51, verse uh, 17, a broken and contrite, O God, you will not despise. That's what David says after he commits adultery. If I come to you with a broken and contrite heart, you will not despise that, O God. You'll meet me there. Because I didn't come proud. I came in humility. And yet, even though all that's true, it's amazing to me how as a pastor I see believers refuse to confess and repent their sin. Just refuse. I will not do that. I'm, I don't have a value pastor in my life of being that transparent. I don't have a value pastor in my life of being that vulnerable. No, I, I don't value that. I go, okay, I understand that you don't value that, but isn't that pride? I mean, explain to me how that's not pride inside the heart. And if it is pride inside the heart, the passage we just looked at says he opposes that he actively works against that. He battles against that position in your heart. Wouldn't you want to not be in that position anymore? I, you know, I just can never admit when I've done something wrong. It's just not a value in my life. It's not a value in my parents. I didn't never seen it. You know, we were never transparent. We always guarded ourselves. In fact, even when we come to church, I come to church and I put on the church face and everything's gotta look good. Church face, whoo, everything's looking. My new shoes. I gotta have that faultless exterior. I gotta present that, it's gotta look right. And many have not found victory over the darkness in their lives and they won't find it either. And you know why? Because the enemy has convinced you that to be quiet is the right path, and it's not. It's not. 